money makes money. And truth is, I learned that from my grandmother and my grandfather. And if you don't put your money to work, it's just sitting there idle. A bad bitch takes charge of her body, her boundaries, and her bank account. Hey everyone, it's Lisa Carmen Wang and welcome back to the Bad Bitch Empire. I'm here today with the formidable Joanne Wilson, also known as the Gotham Gal. She is a New York City-based angel investor, one of the earliest angel investors to have a female entrepreneur-driven investment thesis. She's the co-founder of the Women's Entrepreneur Festival, and she has a decade-long career as a trend spotter, successful angel investor from her very first investment in 07 in New York media company Curbed, all the way through today with an investment portfolio of over 130 startups and everything from food to consumer goods to software to cannabis to real estate. And today we are going to talk about how she broke through this male-dominated investment space and built a powerful brand and voice of her own how women should think about building their wealth independently, and specific action steps for you to start investing your assets in things you care about. Joanne, welcome to the Bad Bitch Empire. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, you've clearly built an empire of your own and built so much respect in the industry. So to start, I want to go back in time to just understand where did this drive for building, investing, and creating impact come from? That's a great question. You know, I've, the drive, I think, came out of the womb. I mean, honestly, I mean, I had a lemonade stand and we're selling puppies by the time I was three years old. And so I've always been driven. I've always, um, I've always liked to build things. I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always been, um, I always knew how to build something, how to make money, how to be profitable. I mean, I just, um, I think it was innate, although my early training really uh, in retail, I believe had a lot to do with understanding how businesses are built, how they uh, can uh, navigate new worlds when there's down rounds, when there's up rounds, what you need to do, listening to the environment. And so I think all of that um, combination is uh, has to do with that. In regards to the social piece, I think that really came probably within my family. My siblings are very similar, although <laughs> I'm not sure. I think we're all sort of dismayed that it actually came from within our family, but it must have. So there you go. Did you, I often find that for a lot of women um, who become really successful, they've had to overcome a lot, defy odds, go through breakthrough challenges. Um, what are some of those things early on for you that made you, I think, drive you even harder? You know, I, I think one of the most difficult things for women, although I believe it is getting easier, is, you know, you grow up and you go off to college and there is this moment in school, quasi idyllic moment where you're uh, working really hard. You are talking among your peers. You're discussing what you're learning. And then you graduate and then women get into the workplace and they think, oh my God, this is not what I expected. And so what I did in that arena is I just ignored all the bad players. I mean, certainly at Macy's in the early days, they were 
countless bad players. You know, I'd go into a meeting and there'd be men like literally rubbing women's legs as they were putting things on the wall. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, you must be kidding. I mean, I had a guy, you know, Julian Geiger, who went on to be very successful, not that he wasn't already in his career, and literally said to me, men, women don't move as quickly as men do in this company. And I thought to myself, fuck off, I'm out of here. And so my attitude has always been, I'm going to pave my own way and I'm not going to let anyone stand in my way. And certainly there were a few men over the years that I was their number two and I helped them build their businesses. And at one point I just decided to resign from that position of being this number two. And essentially really what I was, was the number one, but I didn't get the accolades and I didn't have the business. And so I just said, I'm done with that. Mm. Can you give a specific story or just incident to perhaps one of those moments when you were the number two, but you realized that you were doing essentially the number one's work, but just not getting that credit? Well, there were two companies that I worked in and I built the business to a point that, to be honest with you, neither man could handle the growth and the size of those companies. And when I walked out the door, within a year, both companies imploded. (laughs) That was when I was like, oh my God, if I'm going to build something that's bigger than anyone else I'm working with, I might as well build it for myself. And if I implode, then that's all on me. And so that's really uh, what I, I, I think was something that I learned from early on. Mm-hmm. And so did you, what kind of emotions did you feel? Like, was it resentment, frustration, or? You know, I will say that I've become more emotionally aware in the last couple of years. And certainly as I have gotten older, I've asked myself the question, which is, why do I need to get to the peak of every mountain that sort of moves in front of me. And I have realized that I really can't operate that way anymore. And I think it, you know, it's age and it's just building so many things over time where you begin to say to yourself, you know, if it does, if it doesn't work, it's okay. Right. It's, it's not completely who I am. And I think it's very hard for entrepreneurs who something doesn't work or the company goes under or they're pushed out and they become more of a a board member. And they're so emotionally tied into these companies that they are who they are. That it's very important to have that separation, just like an actor, right? I'm acting in a role, but that is not who I am. And so I do think that the first day after, or actually the day when I would walk out, you know, I was certainly perfuffled and thought, oh yeah, yeah, now what? And then the next day you wake up and you're like, wow, that was great. I'm so glad that's over. (laughs) I mean, the first job that I quit, that was a big thing. And, you know, once you can quit one, you realize you can just continue to quit and move (laughs) forward. And there is something powerful about that because you realize, at least I did for myself, well, I quit that job. I had multiple offers in my palm and it happened so many times that I'll figure it out. And I've said that to entrepreneurs as well. Well, if this doesn't work out, so what? 
You can always return to what you did. You can build another company. You will evolve. It's not like you're going to all of a sudden, you know, they're going to, everything's going to be pushed out on the street and you're going to be standing there with no foundation, right? There's something to be learned from all these experiences and you just move forward. Mm. I mean, what you're really touching on is this, almost this idea of identity and how so many of us identify ourselves with our jobs, um, with that label. So did you, so you're, are you saying that like early on, you also felt like you were, or you see this in entrepreneurs or yourself that you were just identifying yourself with your work? Yeah, certainly early on. Listen, I went to college. I figured I'd be taking over the world or a massive, you know, multi-billion dollar company within years of graduating college. I literally had no idea what politics were uh, Mm -hmm. in regards to working. I literally had no idea how companies really worked. And I was very connected to who I was in my personal success more than than the actual job itself. But once I had a family, it really changed the dynamic. So yes, that's a very important part of me. It 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 fuels my ego, it fuels my brain, it fuels my competition and all the things that I have internally. But once I had a family, that was having those children created a different priority. And how do you balance that need while still being a mother, a wife, a friend, and all of the other things that are important in your life? Mm. Do you think that really like ambitious women kind of think of yourself in those early days can find that? balance or find like transcend those that label of like ambition work empire before they start a family or without starting a family at the end of the day women are the only ones that are going to have children right so the other day i was someone sent me this video of me from years ago and we're talking about how if someone gets pregnant and or you go into a vc's office and they're like are you planning on having a child it's like what does that have to do with anything, right? Women can have children physically and nobody else can. And there's two genders. And, you know, we're gender fluid. That's fine. But physically, women can have children. And just because they're driven and hard pressed doesn't mean that they can't take on the world. Perhaps their partner will stay at home. Perhaps they're both hard pressed. Perhaps they're single parent. It doesn't make any difference. I think that it's a matter of how you set your priorities, how you set up your personal life. Um, and keep in mind, this next generation and is happening now is going to live to be 100 years old. So if you want to take off and put your work life in a different mode during, let's say, the first 10 or 15 years of your kid, think about the percentage of your life that's going to be spent doing that. And so, yeah, I think you can do both and perhaps not at the same time, but yes, you can do both. (laughs) So one thing you just mentioned, which is something I think that is really relevant is really speaking up when you see bullshit and politics or just sexist language, sexist actions. Is there a specific story that you can think of in your career where like it was clearly just like whether it was harassment or just, you know, sexism, where something happened to you and how did you speak up and call it out? Yeah, I will say that I have 
there's only two things that come to mind. One, and perhaps because I do have a a Teflon edge that I have not had a lot of those things happen to me, but I have seen it. And so I remember being an event in a founder that I had just invested in. It was a very large event, came up to me with her iPad to show me what was going on. And there was a man standing next to her and he literally said things that were insanely inappropriate. You know, you're so hot. You're so beautiful. Look at your like kind of a little startup situation. I, I, I was like gobstruck. And so I said to him, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. I said, no, no, no. Like over by the bar. Now, this is not a young man. This is a man who's had a long career, very successful wife, children, good family man. I mean, really. And honestly, I don't think he freaking realized what he was doing. And I just pulled him aside. And I said, if I ever see you speak to a woman like that again or hear about it, I won't pull you aside next time. I will literally take you out on the floor. And he was like, what, what, what? You know, and the next day he sent me a gift. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Now, has he learned new tricks? Questionable. But it, I called it out in the moment. And I think it's very hard for women to do that for fear of they will be known as the person that called it out. They will be, you know, uh, people look at them differently and all these different things. But the reality is the women that we can look at in the last couple of years that called a spade a spade transformed an entire generation of people that said, you're right, enough is enough. And so I do think that that's very important. And uh, the second time that happened to me is I went into someone's office and he was definitely a, you know, arrogant man. And I forgot why we were talking. And he started out in this way. And I must have been in a like a good mood to put up with this about how smart he was and great he was, what he does. I mean, it was just like, you know, how big can I swing my dick kind of thing. And I literally was like, wow, well, he wants to play that game. I'm going to play that game too. And so I just was like, well, I'm blah, 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 blah. And it's so not like me to be that way. But it was just some of those things where I was like, fuck this. And then I walked out and my friend who introduced us called me. He's like, you know, how to go? And I was like, very interesting. He's like, that's so funny. That's what he said. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I... Also remember, I have worked for myself and for the last, my God, 35 years. And so, is it 30 or 30 years, whatever. And so because of that, I'm the business. <laughs> and I have the ability to say that in a way that perhaps is bolder and not fearful because I don't have any money behind me, but my own and our own. And so it does empower me in different ways. Um, I don't think about it that way. I think this is who I am and realize I'm unhireable. But <laughs> That's what I, I realized too. <laughs> you know, but I do think that that probably has something to do with it too. Yeah. Well, so to this point of being your own business and your own brand, I think that there there is a power to that. And there's also you, I mean, you've branded yourself as the Gotham gal. Um, mm -hmm. How have you thought about branding yourself from the physical to the tone of voice to the like everything colors, you know, like all the presentation of who you are so that you can make a really powerful first impression? To be honest with you, I didn't think about it at all. I mean, this name was like, I started blogging 
we're sitting around the table, my husband and I said, like, what should I call this thing? You know, and that was how Gotham Gal came. I mean, it was like a 30 second conversation. But as we have evolved here, you know, I have a phenomenal assistant, you know, who I would consider more my assistant, like a right hand person. And she has a great brain for this. And we just brought on someone else who's working on another project with me and we'll see how long she stays. And, you know, we just had a meeting last week to talk about the projects that we're working on and as well as rethinking how we do our podcast. And, you know, it's very collaborative and I, I like it like that. Mm. Um, to the point when you talked about your Teflon edge, describe that for us. Well, I think for years I've had a, a moving wall in terms of when I'm in the mood, I take it down. When I'm not, I keep it up. But again, you know, when I decided like five, six years ago that I had to figure out how to slow my uh, desire to climb every mountain and to be more thoughtful in regards to my physical capabilities as I got older, I really have learned how to, I think, have a softer touch and not have a wall. Um, and it, and it actually feels a lot better. I mean, can I bring it back and I go off? <laughs> can I, um, you know, all those things that they come back. I mean, you don't, you can never change who you are. Right. But you, you, you can never, you are always who you are, right. You can change those things about yourself. You can be more aware of those things, you know, but when need be, I can certainly return to that edge and, and bring it on when need be. Yeah. Well, uh, do you think that's been helpful to you in your investing career? I, listen, I think that all of this has been helpful to me. And so I don't dismiss where I am now and how I'm looking at things differently with a little less intensity, just not in terms of intellectual intensity, but you know, I don't want to discount who I was perhaps 20 years ago because, you know, if I wasn't, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. So this softer touch, do you think of it as like feminine, masculine, or like, how would you label those? Or do you just think it's just different parts of what all humans have? I think that it's just different parts of what all humans have. I really do. I think that it's super important to be in touch with who you are as an entrepreneur I think it's really important to talk to someone, a coach or a therapist on a weekly basis at that level. I think it's really important to get sleep um, and take time to recharge your batteries. I think it's very important to take vacations. Um, I think it's important to prioritize other things in your life when need be. I mean, because all of those things, as we think more about mental health and there's more conversations about mental health, I think you become a better hurt person and, and also a better business person, a better on every other level when you do those things for yourself. And so I had a perfect example is I had a founder and uh, I used to have these events every year with all the founders. I uh, haven't done it in a couple of years and she couldn't come even though she had a 70 person company because she had to stay, she said, to do something. And the reality is that was micromanaging. Mm. More important for her to be there and meet all these other founders than it was for her to be in her company. And you have to be able to understand at that level that you've hired these people and your role has changed. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the same thing with any of these type of conversations. At the beginning, listen, your head's down 24-7. I don't care what, but sleeping is key. <laughs> mm. So you think your definition of success then has evolved over time? I don't think it's the definition of success. I think it's a definition of self-awareness and self-care. Mm. And the, where those priorities lie in for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I want to switch over to the investing side and wealth building. So talk to us about how you recognized and and started focusing on your female entrepreneur investment thesis. The reality is when I started investing, which was 2007, although I had done another angel investing deal in 2000, I think it was, and sat on the board you know, as I was blogging and I was putting my thoughts out there as a platform that was mine. Mm -hmm. And I started hearing from so many women. um, And I started having coffee with all of these women or lunch or breakfast, whatever it is. And I really understood their companies and I really understood their frustrations. And so I really started to think about my thesis to make it a priority to invest in females as well as Blacks and Latinos and brown people because I felt that they were frustrated because the people on the other side of the table didn't understand their businesses. And I did understand that the this internet and the foundation of the internet was going to change everything, just like now the foundation of a blockchain is going to change all fundamental businesses. And it's very similar. And so I started supporting these women. And not only did I enjoy it, but I feel that I really made an impact because I could see the consistencies among women. They are all scarred when they go out there and raise money. It's a very different um, experience just because of who women are and how they conduct themselves. And until they get to somewhere around now, at this point, I guess a series A or B, when their business is really rolling, do they walk in with a different edge of confidence in the room? And so I think that is a very important uh, lesson to be learned. And I'm absolutely thrilled that I had the ability to be not only an investor, but a consigliere to all of these women. Mm. And why is it that you went into angel investing in the first place? Well, I was really looking for something new. I was uh, sitting, I was chairing an organization. I was involved in my kids' school board. Kids were in school full time. And um, I had been looking for something new for a while. And I was watching the next generation of the web, web 2.0, and these businesses. And um, it was really my husband when I said, and I don't know, I understand your thesis is the way it is, but it's unfortunate you wouldn't invest in something like Curb Media because this is the future and how we're going to take in content. And um, he said, you know, I happen to know they're looking for money. You should do this. You'll be really great at it. You know how to build businesses. You know how to make money. And you understand the, you know, the game. And so that's how I began. And one investment turned into over 130. <laughs> and it really became my full-time personal job of investing this money 
And I've really stopped investing in the last couple of years and I'm on to other things, but more than likely based on what I know now, and I'll probably have a five to six time return on my capital, which is pretty freaking good. And so I'm very proud of that. Awesome. So one of the things that you pointed out was around confidence, both, I think there's the confidence as women, when they reach certain milestones, um, I think for you, there's there's also like when you're starting out investing, a lot of women, because there isn't the right sort of education, the right tone of voice that is targeting them to teach them about investing if they don't have those types of people in their circle. How do you think you can gain that confidence to get started or start taking control of your assets if you, you know, maybe if you don't have that community um, in front of you? You might not have it in front of you, but there is not a city in this country that that if you go into a room and ask people, how many of you have done angel investing? How many have invested in a restaurant? How many have invested in things local? That people will raise their hands. I do believe there's communities all over this country, all over the world. I also think there's communities online. There's tons of places to read about it. And it's just like a founder contacting me um, and I... I do answer all my emails that you'll talk to other investors. And like anything, you take one step and before you know it, you're running. And I I think if you really want to do it, you can find the information out there. Yeah. Um, How should women think about building their wealth independently? Women should think about building their wealth independently. I mean, I would not tell them to invest in startups because, you know, it's like going to Las Vegas. You can lose every single penny. So if you can afford to lose every single penny, fantastic. But if you can't, you should be thinking and doing your own research on, you know, where you saved your capital, what you should be investing in that are uh, large, perhaps institutional type investing um, or firms that are doing that and have had success in returning on their funds um, so that you can be a limited partner in some of them. And I think that is the way to begin and and not understanding it or not acknowledging it and not being in charge of your own financials um, is, is a tremendous mistake. And I still see women today that once they get married, they say, whatever. And um, that's a big mistake. I've seen women that have gotten divorced and they don't know shit. And that's bad. And money is power and money is security. And so it is essential to understand your capital. Yeah. One thing you talked about was being a limited partner. Um, have you, are you a limited partner in any funds yourself? And um, if so, what did you learn through that? Yeah. I mean, we're a limited partner in a variety of funds, mostly funds of people we've known for a very long time or sat on boards of. So, you know, I'm not going to be a limited partner to someone that sends me a random deck, you know, and interesting enough, someone texted me this week about a fund they were going to put money into because they're like, and I feel like I've missed this whole thing. And I said, I don't know that group, but let me find out for you. And I emailed him back and I said, you know, that is a firm, do not put your money there. And he's like, oh my God, thank you so much. There's a lot of shit out there. Um, so one of the things that I have been doing is putting money into, uh, as an LP, into women funds, only women VCs, or only black or brown VCs. 
um, that are committed to doing what I did. You know, I am an advisor to Black Ops, which is a Black VC firm. And um, I uh, I think that is uh, sort of my next thing, although I am putting money into psilocybin funds mm. um, where I'm just starting to get to know them. In many ways, I think you can't, if, if they're good people and they've shown that they have made the right investments over time and on their second fund in that industry right now, you kind of can't fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that one fund where you were like, this is a firm, do not invest. How do you evaluate these different funds and what well, is a, a red flag? I mean, I just emailed someone that I know knows all those funds in that industry who's super freaking smart and has had incredible success. And so I didn't know that fund in that space. And, um, you know, I have a big enough Rolodex that I know who to call. Yeah. (laughs) So would you say that one of the most important things early on for women is to diversify and really just get clear on what it is, like their thesis is in terms of how they want to invest? Yeah, I, I mean, if you do any research, I think you'll find, you know, when you're 20, you should be more aggressive in terms of your portfolio. When you're 30, depending on you are, there should be some things that are a little more not as aggressive. Maybe 10% is a lot more conservative. And then as you move forward, you know, your portfolio changes based on your age and your needs and the life that you have or the family that you have. And so, you know, we're huge risk takers, but certainly we have cash in very secure spots that, you know, we're not making tremendous returns on, but we can access anytime. Yeah. When you think about all the different asset classes and like now, because there's so many new alternative assets that people can invest in, um, high risk, potential high return, what would you classify now as lower risk versus risky versus high risk? You know, I really don't know enough to answer, to be perfectly honest. You know, I, you know, how our portfolio works is very high risk and the very low risk is real estate. Mm-hmm. And so we are building apartment buildings and um, and putting our capital that once it exits high risk, we put it into, you know, low risk because you know, owning properties or building properties that you rent, they stay in families for decades. And so it's just what we've chosen to do. Um, But there are plenty of other ways to go that I don't, I'm not familiar enough to give any advice on. Yeah. Um, So, so talking about some of these areas, like, um, like cannabis, psilocybin, what is your take on like the future of 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 those industries, they're going to be tremendous. I I never understood why cannabis was never legal from the time I was in ninth grade. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. And government is waking up. I mean, this is an industry that worked fine and dandy for thousands of years. And the reality is, the reason people smoke cannabis is because they like to get stoned. And if you look at the data, it could be anywhere from mental health. It could be from physical physical to make you feel better. It could be for sleep. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Um, and more and more data is being collected. And if you look at state by state, the ones that have passed cannabis laws, the amount of revenue that is being poured into those states is outrageous. And the amount of people that are being hired is crazy and fantastic. 
And so I do believe that over the next 10 years, you know, cannabis could be our savior. Um, and, and for so long, because going back to the Nixon administration, which was, we're going to keep black and brown people in jail. Um, and that's how we're going to use it, knowing full well that there was nothing wrong with cannabis. We have lost out as a country to continue to do massive amount of research around the benefits of this. Uh, the good news is Israel never stopped and other places never stopped. And we are a much more global world and we'll continue with cryptocurrencies. In regards to psilocybins, based on what's going on with cannabis and a variety of different uh, research projects around psilocybin, I think you're going to see a tremendous change in those laws as well. Um, there's no doubt that one of the issues in psilocybin, very similar actually to education, when the net started to really explode, one of the issues were that there weren't enough teachers that understood how to use this platform to teach people. That has changed. And certainly with COVID, it has accelerated. But when you go to psilocybin, there's not enough therapists that understand how to give that to a patient and work with them to get the best out of it. So there's a whole area that needs to educate people to do that. So as a whole, I am hoping for more of this because we have seen the destruction of pharmaceutical products on our culture and, um, and not that they aren't great products for certain things, but certainly there is opportunity for pain management and other things that does not come through drugs like an Oxycontin and, um, and others uh, that should be looked at. And a lot of this is going to come through the cannabis world. Mm. And then what are your thoughts on like Web3 blockchain? Um, are you invested in crypto? And if so, what are some things that you're paying attention to? I personally, um, yes, our family is very deep in crypto. You know, our, my um, uh, my son is super deep in crypto. My Both my daughters and um, and their boyfriends are, you know, own a lot of crypto. Um, my son, my husband is like, you know, the king of the crypto. But, you know, the NFTs, the cryptocurrencies, I really do believe. And either, number one, these currencies are going to create the ability to have more equality in our world. Because if you look at something like Facebook, they make all the money on your data. They make all the money on the ads. But if that was built on a blockchain and it was being used as a cryptocurrency platform that was a community, 95% of the people there would be making money too. And so that to me is really interesting. And the other thing that's interesting to me is why should people in Nicaragua get up the next morning and not be able to buy a piece of bread that they bought the next day? And so it is obvious through COVID, we are a very connected globe. And I will hope that currencies will, as they rise and certain ones become worth more, others become less, that it will change the dynamics of countries that are being run by dictators or you know autocrats. That I think is very important. I think it's going to be very difficult for banks. And of course, there'll be lobbyists around that. Um, but I do believe that either we are onto something really important 
or this is like the peak of the Great Gatsby era and it's all going to fall down a toilet. <laughs> but I actually hope it's not that. <laughs> and so are you or, or your family, are you investing in specific cryptocurrencies or investing in blockchain companies that are building infrastructure, kind of as you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, we're doing both and I'm not doing any. um so i mean that like similar to me when i think about it it's just it's around these values of equality and transparency and why it's so important for especially women um people of color who have traditionally been left out of these financial institutions all the technological innovations why it's so important to get educated and find a way to be involved um what would you recommend for Perhaps people who might feel intimidated by the space, uh, because that's what what all these things always do. They kind of put up jargon and, and make it inaccessible. You're absolutely right. And the funny thing about that is it's so early. Mm-hmm. Everyone's on the same page. I mean, certainly there's the early adapters. And I know this sounds crazy, but if you really want to take a deep dive into first starting to understand the cryptocurrency world. Andreessen has a great, like, um, uh, through A16Z, I think it is, has a really great paperwork on that, you know, documents that you can read online. And then the other place, take a deep dive into Reddit. I'm not kidding. Like, I would, like, literally, there's a, you could go down multiple holes there, but you will learn a tremendous amount about what's happening in that world. Yeah. So like, are there particular threads or that you? No idea. I mean, people have asked me the same question. And the reality is my son, who is seriously, insanely well-versed in this and has done exceptionally well. I say, you know, how can I, blah, blah, blah. You know, people ask me and he's like, I'm telling you, if you're really interested, dive into Reddit. Yeah. So, I mean, from the point of investing, so like for, for a lot of women who are like, they've got cash. And oftentimes just sitting in a savings account, not really doing anything. What would be the first thing that you would do if you kind of take yourself back to some of the early days where you, where you started thinking about investing? My response would be super simple. Money makes money. Sitting in an account making 2% does not make money. You have to continue to invest your money and be on top of your money on a daily basis. Money makes money. And truth is, I learned that from my grandmother and my grandfather. And if you don't put your money to work, it's just sitting there idle. Yeah. Why is it important for you to make money? Well, I think everyone has different needs and desires. You know, we're seeing a whole new generation of people are like, I'm very happy to be a chocolate maker or a shoe fixer, whatever it may be. I think that it's a relative to how you want to live your life. The thing about money, all relative to how much you want to have and how you want to live your life and how secure you want to be. And those numbers are all different based on how you live your life. It does create an ability to have freedom. How should someone think about that number? Because so the reason I ask is because you know, being in New York City, right? It's it's always almost like keeping up with the Joneses. You're talking about this mountain in front of you. It's like 
I see for a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of ambitious friends, it's like, it's never enough. It's never enough. More, more, more. And that it's not even about a consideration of like, what does freedom look like to me? It's just, I need to do more than this next guy because I need to beat someone. Yeah. I always say, don't listen to the white noise around you, right? In New York City, someone else is always richer. Someone else is always poor. I think the question is, what do you want to be? Yeah. And so in addition to investing, when if women don't necessarily have the capital to start angel investing, what are other ways that you would recommend essentially uplifting the women around you? Well, if you don't have money to invest, you shouldn't. I think the question is, you know, can I afford to put $100 away every month? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of three years, I've now have $3,600, you know, what could I do with that $3,600 to turn it into $6,000? You know, I mean, if, you know, I, I remember this woman I knew I mean, a long time ago. And when, you know, we were all turning like 30, she had already set aside like some serious cash because she basically decided every time she got a paycheck, you know, she put 20% of it somewhere. I mean, that was really disciplined. But if you want to be disciplined about your money, you can be. Mm. So every time she got that paycheck, 20% into some sort of investing asset. Yeah, some sort of money market fund. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's smart. Good way to think about it, yeah. Great way to start. And then I think that once she hit that, then she could start doing other things with her money, right? Then she could say, I'm going to take 20% of this big amount and put it into seriously high-risk business. And if it ends up hitting the big time, boom, you know? And so I, 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 you have to really think about your risk factor. Yeah. Any mantras that you have throughout your career that you've developed? Spend time in places that make you uncomfortable. What's a place that you've been really uncomfortable in? I mean, at this point, I think I've touched everything. But I would say <laughs> to you is that the best <laughs> advice I ever got from somebody was when I became uh, assistant store manager, I had already oversaw quite a large cosmetic department. And when I became the assistant store manager, cosmetics was under my domain, but so was all of women's ready to wear. And the woman I worked for who ran the store said to me, spend time, 10 minutes in the morning in cosmetics, 10 minutes in the evening. You already understand it. It's anything like something that takes you seven hours at 22 is going to take you 10 minutes at 60 because you know how to get it done now, right? You've already learned and made those mistakes. So spend time in the areas that you don't understand that make you uncomfortable. They would have spent all their time in cosmetics because it was a comfort zone. And because of that, it allows you to learn other things, explore other things. So if you're a founder of a company and you know product inside out, of -hmm. course, you're going to be wanting to be involved in the product as you hire people. But you know what? Spend time in marketing, Mm -hmm. spend time in finance, spend time in customer acquisition, spend time in areas that you really don't understand. I mean, do understand, but you're not an expert at it because you'll end up being a better leader. Yeah. I mean, I think what prevents a lot of people from doing that to your point of the comfort zone is like fear of failure, fear of looking stupid or sounding stupid because they don't know what they're talking about. Always ask questions. I mean, Billie Jean King said, which I think is such a great quote, which is, you know, failure is feedback. Any, any remaining fears that you have that you haven't overcome or that you still face? Not really. I mean, I'm not <laughs> interested in jumping off a 
you know, out of a plane (laughs) or, you know, climbing a mountain literally physically. I think there's certain things that I probably thought at one point I wanted to do, but I don't want to do them anymore. You know, Um, I'm, you know, I'm very happy with many of the things that I've uh, overcome. What would you say you're the most proud of? My family, my kids, you know, a hundred percent. That is one of the, uh, I think most incredible things ever is to have children and have a relationship with them as an adult. And, um, and certainly the relationship with my husband. I mean, we are, um, we've been together over 40 years and, you know, we both came from nothing and built this. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. For bad bitches, when you think about like, how, how should they think about choosing partners or finding that right partner to build an empire with? I think it's important to be with someone who wants the same things out of life. You know, I mean, if you're a vegan, you probably shouldn't be hanging out with someone who only eats steak. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. If you love hiking on the weekends and you're with someone that only loves concrete, eventually, eventually it's going to, it isn't going to work. Yeah. So um, I think it's really important to have the same interests and the same desires and how you want to live your life. Amazing. Final question for you is what does it mean to you to be a bad bitch? You know, bitch is such a crazy connotation, but I think it's important to be a tough woman, which means is not to cower, not to feel demure, but to own what you know and to walk in to a meeting or run something or do something and at your very, very best and acknowledge what you know and what you don't know. Um, because the truth is when you go into a lot of these rooms, the majority of the people don't know either. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Joanne, you are truly a formidable force and so grateful for you sharing all this wisdom that you've gained throughout your career and your life. Thank you for being part of the Bad Bitch Empire. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm here to help you unleash your inner bad bitch so you can create the life and career you've always dreamed of because you deserve nothing less. You'll be hearing from bad bitches around the world who are breaking barriers and building empires. Take the lessons to heart and never forget. Bad bitches never settle.